Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. For more information about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, visit us at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening his word. Good morning, church family. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Scott Brooks. I'm the lead pastor and I'm on the preaching team. Super grateful that you're here with us this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We'll be in Isaiah chapter nine, Isaiah chapter nine. We'll be looking at verses one through seven. And so uh, we finished up our Genesis series last, last week and now we're in Advent and Advent is simply the arrival of Christ. And um, we, we don't follow the church calendar and all that is, is there's, there's, there's a calendar that orients our, our, our focus on different elements of, of really scripture, but we do with Advent. And what I love about Advent, each, each, each Christmas, it reorients our mind, our hearts, Lord willing, our lives to the most important thing, which is God has come and, and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus came. Uh, on a rescue mi- uh, mission for sinners. And lest we forget that, that, man, that, that is not something, it's everything. That Advent, God, God has come. It demands our attention and our, our time and our affection. Um, this Christmas season, we're looking at Advent through the lens of all saints now celebrate. As Garrett mentioned, uh, we, our, our worship team uh, released a new Christmas album. It's incredible. You can, down, you can download or listen to it however, however you, can, you know, stream it. I'm not in, I, I, I listen on Amazon. So I don't know. Whatever you will do, go listen to it. And the sermon title is All Saints Now Celebrate. Now, we're, what we're doing is through this Advent season is looking at the truth that all saints should celebrate. As you experience the realities of Christmas, Christ come, the Messiah come, that you should celebrate, you should be joyful, that you should, you should sing. Now, um, your theology, what you believe about God, drives your worship. Your theology drives your worship. And so that's what we're going to try to do is look at the treasure, which is Christmas. God become man and dwelling among us. Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord willing, that theology would drive worship. Our theology would drive our doxology, if you will. Now, whatever you hold as, as worthy is, is what you worship. Like you hold something in that position as divine, the center and it, it drives your affections and, 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 and really you center your life on that thing. What we want is put, to put Christ at the center of our worship. Now, in, in this text, we're about to read uh, in Isaiah 9, as people understand the promise here of Christmas, they respond in worship. Every time in the New Testament, as someone really sees Emmanuel, God with us, the second person become uh, the second person of the Trinity become man and adding to his divinity, flesh and blood, they worship. We look at, we'll look at Zechariah, we'll look at Mary, we'll look at the shepherds and the angels. We'll look at Simeon and Anna. Every time someone encounters the incarnation, they worship and so, and so should we. Now, uh, we'll read Isaiah chapter nine, one through seven. And we're gonna look at this through the lens of this, the sermon series title, All Saints now celebrate. So let's read Isaiah chapter 9, 1 through 7. It'll be the only text that will be in, in the Old Testament, but it is a pointer to the reality of, of God becoming man while we celebrate Christmas. Let's read it. Verse 1, it says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. 
In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders in the name and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and land of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So that's the, the word of the Lord. Now, so we're in Isaiah chapter nine. So Isaiah is a prophet here and this is, you know, 700 BC. So this is a pointer, clearly a clear prophecy, a promise to a child will be born, a son will be given. Now, uh, Augustine, who's an early church father, uh, he used to say this about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is like a dimly lit room with beautiful furniture in it, well-decorated, if you will. And the New Testament, the New Testament is like a light as, that has been turned on that now we can see the beauty of some of the things in the Old Testament that we used to not be able to see very well. And this is a clear stance of now that we live on this side of the Old Testament that Christ has come, we see clearly what was promised here in this prophecy. So Isaiah, 700 years before, is saying, hey, this is going to happen, and then it has happened, and we have clarity on exactly what this means that they may not have seen as clear. Now, uh, the prophecy that is clear here is in verse six. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. So if you polled our kids and TC kids, like, hey, what do you think that means? They'd be like, Jesus. I'm like, yes, right? That, so we, we, on this side, we know what that is. Uh, th now they had some understanding here, uh, and I don't know how much they knew, but this is a prophecy fulfilled uh, clearly in Christmas. Now, in this text, in every time, like I said, as we'll look in the, in the New Testament, as people experience Emmanuel, God with us, which is crazy. God became man and dwelt among us. They sing and they praise and they have this, this res response of joy. Now, in this text, what we see here in verse four uh, or, or verse three, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. What does it say? They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they were glad when uh, they divide the spoil. So what it's saying here, man, there's an increasing joy with this, this uh, really knowledge of what God's going to do, this prophecy. Uh, it says as harvest time, harvest time is that, you know, you plant the, you know, the crops grow up. Now they're harvesting their crops. That means there's food to be had. We just had Thanksgiving. You should have been very Grateful for all the food that you ate. Uh, Lord, when you ate food, I ate too much. I still, I feel having like a little meat hangover and I was pretty good for a while. Then I had two, you know, pecan pies and then I tried to finish it last night. It just went bad real fast. But the idea here is there's joy. Why? Because there's abundance here. And then furthermore, it says that as, as if they, there's been a victory, there's, there's a spoil to be had. This is the type of joy that they're experiencing about this, this prophecy, a child to be born. 
a son given. Now, all saints now celebrate. Is the, the stance here is we celebrate. We celebrate, why? Because God has become man. A son has been given, a child is born. Now, my question is why in the world do we do that? that that's, that's my question I wanna try to answer th- that we would celebrate. Now, in this text, it's, it's helpful to look at why, why they're celebrating. Now, in Christmas, I don't know if you've noticed, we, we kind of lose our minds to not, I would say, to a great degree. We, we, we do odd things in Christmas. We bring trees indoors, right? That's the you know, Christmas tree. We take lights outside, right? Those are usually inside. And my question is why? Why are the lights all over houses and we even have it on this church facility? Why? That's odd behavior. And frankly, I love it. I love driving down streets and seeing all these lights on, on the building. It is to, to display the hope that we have in Christmas. It's to say light has shone into darkness. This is, I would even say, maybe traced to this text, but furthermore, it's traced to, to candles being put in windows. Like light is breaking, breaking into darkness. Now, uh, I've, I've, I've established this. Uh, I'm, I'm somewhat scared of the dark. I've, I've, as I've grown up, I've matured, praise God. I can sleep with the lights off. But when I was little, the lights had to be on, right? Because the dark is... Can we, can we just be real? It's scary because like, you don't know what's there. You know who's beside you. Your imagination starts to run. Uh, light breeds a lot of uh, insecurities and, and I would even say despair. I mean, it, it, it can be scary. Now, in the text, it describes this scenario as there are people in verse 2 who walked in deep or walked in darkness. I don't know if you've ever really tried to walk when it's dark outside, when there's no you know, no light pollution from everything else. It, it's, it's overwhelming. You don't know where you're going, you know which direction it is, you, know, you, you don't know how, how to walk. And then furthermore, it says, not only were they walking in darkness, but they dwelt in a land of deep darkness. This is the reality that they lived. They dwelt in a land of deep darkness. Now, if you were here, for the Genesis series. We did God, he, he created, there's a fall of humanity, Adam and Eve rebelled against God because they rebelled against God. There is a trajectory of decay and brokenness. The world is unraveling. So I like the illustration. If you, t- if you, if you cut off a limb from a tree, it looks alive for a little bit, but it's, its trajectory is what? It's, it's withering away, it's death. This is, this is what we have here. There's a people that have been cut off from God because of sin, and they're on a trajectory of decay and they live in darkness. Now, whether you know it or not, your biggest problem is not what you think it is. It's just not, it's just not. Like you, most of us think very temporal and circumstantial. Like we, we think our biggest problem is usually, <laughs> it's, never, it's usually never us. Like I, I would go on to say, it's like, I'm not the problem. And you probably say, I'm not my biggest problem. It's, it's always someone else whether it's a a political party or it's like that family I can't get along with or that one person, if 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 they would just get out of my life, I'd be a happier person. Or um, you you think your biggest problem is your finances. You think your biggest problem is your health. Maybe your biggest problem is you don't, you know, you're not getting what you want. What the scripture argues is it's not your circumstance, but it's sin. That's what it's gonna argue. That we, we are our biggest problem and because we rebelled against God, sin has been passed down to every human and we live now under the curse of sin, but not only that, but death. What that means is we are people who dwell in darkness. 
We, 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 we have an ostrich approach to life, which I think is interesting. We like stick our head in the ground, like everything's okay. And nothing is really okay. Everything is broken. Everything is decaying. We're like, oh, but it's good. It's like, is it? Is it really good? We're all fighting a losing battle. Can I get an amen? I mean, I got gray hair. I mean, I, don't, I was like, I'm gonna be young forever. And now I'm like, nah. Everyone's like, you look kind of old. I was like, I feel old, right? It's happening to me. This is why we try to eat well. And I don't care how, how well you eat, it's only a matter of time. I don't care how much you exercise or how much you invest in the right things. Like everything is on this trajectory of death. And here's the reality. We all know it and we act like it's not happening. We act like it's not happening. And scripture, by God's grace, refuses to let us put our heads in the ground because God cares about us. It says this in Romans 5, 12, so you know I'm not overstating. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world, what through one man? This is Adam's rebellion against God and sin is passed down. It's, it's hereditary and death through sin. So death spread to all men. Why? Because all of sin. This is the death curse that we all live under. You may not like it. You may not agree with it, but that's the reality. Deep darkness. And there is no hope in you or around you. And the good news of Christmas is, what does it say here in verse two? The people who walked in darkness, what they've seen a great light. There's a glimmer of hope. There's light breaking in. There, there's a, a ray coming in over the horizon. That, that There's a glimmer of optimism here. For, furthermore, it says, uh, uh, it, it says, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. So here, this is, this is why we celebrate. We're a people of darkness that dwell in deep darkness. Our trajectory is, is a, uh, one of, 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 of death. And the good news is God says the light is coming and frankly has come in Christ. Um, I love what it says. You have seen a great light. I'm, I'm, we're going to try to get into it. Have you experienced the light the light of, of the world, which is Christ. A, a light has shown that, that you can have really life, even though our trajectory is death. Verse six and seven tells us what this light is. What is this glimmer of hope? It says this in verse six, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. I'm not saying the people in Isaiah exactly knew what that was, but we do. Jesus says, I am the light of the, what? The world. And if we're going to celebrate, we're going to have to see the hope and the reality that is only in Christ alone, that God become man who dwelt among us, the incarnation, that's going to have to grow in more value for us to actually to celebrate correctly. Now, a child is born. Why in the world? That doesn't seem that helpful. If, we're in, you're, in, if you're in deep darkness and we're dying, you're like, I don't see how a child being born and a son of given is helpful. Matthew 1.21 is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture because it tells us why in the world did Jesus come? She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Do you know that's why Jesus came? This is why a child is born, a son is given. I love Matthew, going through Matthew with anyone, but frankly, someone who doesn't know the Lord. Why? Because it starts with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It says the birth of Christ took place in this way. And the reason why Jesus came is what? To save his people from their sins. Now, this is getting to our, 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 our biggest problem is that we are sinners cut off from a righteous, holy God. And there will be judgment for how we lived and how we rebelled against him. Now, 
This is our trajectory. And Jesus came to deal not only with our sin, but to bear our punishment for his death. I need you to hear what I'm saying because I think some of us are so immune to what I just said. You're like, yeah, 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 that's great. I mean, this is crazy. If this is true, it's crazy. God became man and dwelt among us to deal with our, our biggest problem, which is sin. I'm going to tell you something that on record, I'm afraid to meet God. You're like, well, that, that's weird. You're a pastor. I am. In my own doing, in my own self, I'm terrified. Know why? Because I know who I am. I know my past. I know my struggles. It's a terrifying proposition. A righteous, holy God. He's good and generous and has blessed me more than I could ever be grateful for. You know what I've done? I've squandered it. I've been selfish. I mean, it's a terrifying act. You're like, well, I did the best I can. You didn't. It's like, God knows. Like, oh, did you really? Did you really do the best you could? It's going to be embarrassing. And I'm terrified of myself to meet him. Furthermore, I've walked with many people who've died. And I visit them. And almost every single one, not all, they're scared to meet their maker. <laughs> they know that they're going to give their last breath. And they're, then they're going to give an accounting for their life. That's not theirs, that they didn't create. And it's a terrifying, a terrifying thing. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Is this is why Jesus came. So you would not be judged according to your, your righteousness in your life, but he would, you'd be according to his life. This is what it says in 1 Timothy 1, uh, verse 15. Listen to what it says. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world, what? To save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. See, Paul is incredible here. He's like, I'm the worst and I'm not afraid to admit it. Why? Because I'm not going to be judged according to my performance, but according to his. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he came to deal with your sin and take your death. And if you don't confess that you're the worst, you'll never experience Christ. And that is a terrifying act. See, Jesus came to deal with the greatest threat you'll ever face, which is your sin and facing your maker who is righteous and holy on your own, but you can have an advocate in your place, a substitute. See, most people think Christianity is like, God loves the good people. This is crazy. There are no good people. There are none. There are no good people. And that's for the people, it says, that are poor in spirit. If you come to God with any type of like, I deserve this. You don't understand who you are and you don't understand grace. And if you think that you've had a hard life and you think you deserve, you know, God owes me, you don't understand it either. See, Christianity is for those who have come to the end of themselves and confessed their sin and put their faith in Christ. See, Jesus came to bear our judgment, to deal not in part but in full with our sin. Do you hear the good news of Christmas? His life for your life. It's only for the humble that can confess. I'm not who I should be, but thank goodness that Jesus, he lived this perfect life. He paid my death. He, he dealt with God's wrath in full, and now I'm forgiven. See, this is going back to the, the title, All Saints Now Celebrate. You only celebrate if you understand that you're a sinner, and only through Jesus you've been made a son. See, most of us think we're, we're, we're pretty okay. 
You'll never celebrate appropriately until you understand the depravity of who you are, but what God did for you and his son. Listen to what it says in John uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed what in his name, what Jesus has done, he gave the right to become children of God. That's a stunning verse. What he just said is all, all of us are sinners, but whoever believes in Jesus, we move from a sinner to a son. He doesn't look at you and judge you in your, in your filth and your wretch and, and thank God he's not gonna judge me according to my life, but according to Christ. The good news of the gospel is I don't have to be afraid to meet my maker. Why? Because I, God is not gonna judge me according to me, but according to Christ. I'm appointed Jesus. Like he is my righteousness. He is my advocate. He is my everything. And God's gonna say, he'll say to me, well done, good and faithful servant, not because I am, because he was. This is, this should take your breath away. What happens here, if, you're, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a sinner. If you can't admit that, you've not become a Christian. You're a sinner, but he looks at you as a son. He calls you a saint. You know in scripture, he calls you a saint? That's insane. That he looks at me and all my filth and all my unrighteousness, he says, you're a saint. Why? Because he sees his son. He sees me as righteous. He sees me as holy. He sees me as perfect. He sees me as blameless. That should take your breath away. How could God see me that way? Only Christ. How could God love a wretch like me? Do you see the good news of Christmas? That Jesus came for you. He lived for you. He died for you. Why? So you can, he gives you a new name. Not a sinner, but a saint. That we could not earn. We do not deserve. This is what Jesus, we, we give him our sin. He takes our death and he gives us his righteousness and gives us life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you moved by what I'm saying? He did this for you. Now, this is all saints now celebrate. I'm, I'm looking at this sermon series and laying it on this text. We celebrate because Jesus, the Son of God, took our place as a sinner and makes us a saint. And those who experience that will now celebrate. It's a command that we should celebrate our new position in Christ, that we're righteous in Christ, we're forgiven in Christ. And that now is an adjective describing what saints do. They celebrate. If you're a true, if you're a true saint, a sinner-made son, you know what you do? You rejoice. How could God leave a wretch like me? You, you'll sing his praise. You'll be overwhelmed. You'll be humbled. You'll sing a new song. Why? Because this is what God has done for you. Now, if you want to understand, if you understand someone's love for you, look what they've done for you. I mean, what have you done for me lately? You hear that saying? We also do the odd thing. We take you know, lights outside. We bring trees inside. Under the tree at Christmas, what is there? There's a gift. It's not, a child is born and what a son is given if you understand someone's love for you, one, look at the gifts that they give you. I'm not a gift giver, if you ever wonder. I'm not. Don't like them. Now, I will give them if I really, really like you. I mean, that, if you want to know, because I'm selfish, I already admitted that. I got lots of issues, right? I like to go, I want to go have experiences. I want to go you know, have, you know, food. I will do lots of things, but gifts are not high up there. But the people that I love, I give them things. And, the, you know, my wife's sitting over there. I give her the most things. Why? Because I want her to know that I value her. 
And so if I hear that she wants it, I'll do what I can to get it. I'll try to provide it for her. I want her to know this is how much I love her. I have a saying with my daughter, tall, tall trees and all the waters and the seas. I'm a fool, fool for you. That's Alan Jackson, anyone? Right? Man, I, I will move heaven and earth so you know that I love you. If you want trees, I'll get them. You want the waters and the seas, I'll get them. I want you to know that I love you. This is what God does at Christmas. He wants you to know that he loves you, even though you do not deserve it. He knows you're a sinner. He knows your ability and he knows everything about you. And he loves you. John 3, 16, he wants you to know, it says, for God so what loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He wants you to understand the value that you have to him by the gift that he has given you. Do you see that? There is no greater gift that God could give than his son. No greater gift to display his love. So if you ever wonder if God loves you, look at Christmas and he says, man, I could not give anything higher to display my love for you. Furthermore, if you've ever given a gift, not only does it show the one you love, the person that understands the value of the gift that you've given, their response shows you they understand the value. This is why we celebrate. I'm giving gifts to people and I'm like, I'm trying to show you, I love you. And they're like, yeah, that's great. I was going to something else. So like, I, I don't think they understood what I was trying to say, right? It's like, what else? You know, like, have you ever had that on Christmas morning? It's like, what else did you give me? I was like, I don't think you understood what this is. This is super valuable. If you look at Christmas, like, oh yeah, God gave me some, what else? You're missing on the treasure of Christ. And I don't think you get it. I'm just kindly gonna tell you, I don't think you understand what Christmas is all about. See, we, we're living in sin under a death sentence. It's not if, it is coming and will come. The good news is Jesus came in to bear your sin, to bear that curse, to give you his blessing of eternal life that starts now, but lives forever. See, this is the value. If this is true, if it's true what I'm saying, that, you can, that your debt against a righteous, holy God is paid in full by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that he died your death, he rose from the grave, he's given you his spirit, and you will live forever with him in a new heavens and new earth, would you not celebrate? Is that not greater than anything else in the world? It is. My question is, how do you respond? See, we're so distracted in Christmas, in life, that we miss out on the treasure, which is Christ. I'll give you an example. In, in Matthew 13, it says that there is a, a, a merchant who's in search for a fine pearl. And when he finds a, a pearl of great value, he sold all that he had for that one great pearl. So he saw this one pearl was greater than the entirety of the rest of his life. And he willingly sold everything to get the one pearl. Why? Because he saw the value there. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you see the value, which is Christ, you'll willingly give everything because it's an easy trade for this life or the next. I'm not saying God's gonna tell you to sell everything, but I'm trying to show you the value of which Christ is. Do you see the, the treasure of Christmas? He's worthy of every single song that you sing. He's worthy of your time. He's worthy of your talents. He's worthy of your life. He's worthy for you to turn your entire life around because he, he's the only thing in this life that'll bring you joy. He's the only thing in this life 
that will be not only here for you in this life, but the next. And this is why we celebrate. You see the treasure of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that God became man to dwell among us, not just so, to give us an example, that to take our place as a sinner, to make us a son. May we celebrate appropriately. May we turn our hearts to adore this treasure, maybe for the first time, but again and again. May we lead our kids, may we lead our families to this treasure, which is only found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would hear the good news of the gospel and not shrug it off. We'd hear the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his son, that we respond appropriately. Like every person that's really ever understood the value in singing, in worship, in adoration, in, in, in a response of submitting their entire lives to you, a good, loving father who has given us everything in your son. Help us adore the gift of Christ, treasure the gift of Christ, proclaim the gift of Christ. God, I pray that we would practice that right now. Spirit of God, I pray that you would fill us with your love, that you would bring the Father's love so near to us, it would comfort us, it would change us, it would move us to find peace, that we'd understand our circumstances are our issue, but really our relationship with you is the primary issue and that we could just find a peace in your love, a peace in your presence. Help us see you in a new way this morning. I ask that in Jesus' powerful name, amen.